are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want us to look into our Bibles and find out what we can about the place to which our loved ones have gone. For trifle with as we may, within less than a hundred years from this moment, every man and woman, every boy and girl, every little baby in arms will be in the cemetery. And the evening zephyrs will be singing their sad songs above our graves, and we will be either in heaven or hell. Now you'll be surprised when you read your Bible how little God has told us about hell or heaven. I do not know why he has told us a little unless it's because he never ministers to our curiosity. He never tells us anything which would not be of value to us. But he has told us enough so we can get some little understanding about what God has in reserve for those who love and serve him. And one of the things that he has told us about heaven is this, that heaven is a place. He said in John 14 that I go to prepare a place, P-L-A-C-E. Now, not a condition, but a place. When I was a boy and when I was a child and used to go to church and I used to hear them sing, I want to be an angel and let the angels stand. And I thought that heaven was a place where you played a harp and had wings and was an angel. And that's all the idea I had of heaven. Well, that wouldn't be much of a heaven to me. Because I never did care for a harp. And a big chunk of cheese like me would look pretty going flopping around on a pair of wings. <laughs> One fellow said he married an angel. She was always up in the air harping on something. <laughs> with nothing to wear. <laughs> no. And we used to sing, I want to be an angel. And with the angels stand. Well, I found I would never be an angel. Even when we go to sing Redemption Story, the angels will have to fold their wings because they do not know the joy of Christ's salvation that our redemption brings. Angels, but they're not, they are created beings. We're redeemed people. And so heaven's going to be a place. I go to prepare a place for you. Professor stood before the class morning after morning and said, Young gentlemen, heaven's not a place, it's only a condition. Hell is not a place, it's only a condition. That sounded learned, didn't it? But that's foolish and senseless. To think of there being a condition without a place. Man was riding down the road one morning and met the old gentleman coming up the road and he said to him, As I came down the road, I saw two serpents take each other by the tail. And they started swallowing each other, and they swallowed each other till they swallowed each other out of sight. And there wasn't anything left of either of them. The man scratched his head and said, that might have been possible, but before God, it don't sound reasonable to me. (laughs) And yet I could think of two serpents taking each other by the tail and swallowing each other out of sight as quickly as I could think of there being a condition without a place. Heaven is a place. It's not like that foolish, senseless song you sing sometimes about beautiful isle of somewhere. No, heaven's not a beautiful isle of somewhere. It's not a fairy land. It's not a myth. 
It's not a dream to be awakened from. It's a reality. Heaven would have to be a reality because it would take a reality to contain a reality. A condition could not contain a reality. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Then after that he said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt and so forth. Now you could not lay up treasures in a condition. You'd have to have a place to lay up treasures in. I believe that when Jesus arose from the dead, I believe he arose in a real tangible body of flesh and bone. I believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. I was holding a meeting in a city, in, in, a, in a church, in a city in Pennsylvania years ago when I was in my twenties. And the old preacher that I was in a meeting with was a liberalist. He was a left winger. He was way out in left field. And he'd sit on my bed of a morning and say, don't ever say you believe the Bible's the word of God because that will betray your ignorance. I said, don't you believe the Bible is inspired? He said, in places. But I said, I'm not smart enough to know where the places are. So I have to take it all or nothing. And then one night I preached on the resurrection of Jesus. And the next morning he said to me, do you believe that a body of flesh and bone could go through a keyhole in a door? That's where Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room when the door was shut. I said, I don't know, doctor, but let me ask you one. Do you believe a spirit could eat bread and fish? Jesus said, give me bread and fish and honeycomb. And he took it and ate it. Jesus had a body of such literalness that it was capable of eating and assimilating food. And when he arose from the dead, he said, put your fingers in my hands and feel the nail prints, thrust them into my side, handle me, a spirit hath not flesh and blood as you see me have. That's when he took the, the bread and the fish and the honeycomb and ate it. And so in that body that he arose, he arose in the same body that he was crucified in. He arose in the same body with the marks of the cross still upon it. And when he walked out yonder upon the Mount of Olives, and that morning gave his valedictory address as that little group of disciples stood in a semicircle about him. And as he gave them his valedictory address, and immediately his feet started to leave the earth, first slowly but surely. And he ascended above their heads and above the trees and above the clouds and on until there was only a little speck left yonder in the sky. And as they stood looking and gazing in a moment, the clouds covered him over and he was out of sight. And they said, is that all? Will we never see him again? Have we been invited into this fellowship to have it so terminated suddenly? Well, and the first message then that came out of heaven was this. Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, not another one. This same Jesus that you see taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go. He said this same Jesus, not another one. This same Jesus, not the spread of Western civilization. This same Jesus... Not the conversion of the world. This same Jesus. 
a literal, actual, bodily coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How will he come? Come like he went. How did he go? He went in the presence of his disciples. How will he go? He'll come to his own. How did he go? He went in the clouds. How will he come? He'll come in the clouds. How did he go? He went visibly. How will he come? Every eye shall see him. Where did he go from? From the Mount of Olives. Where will he come? His feet shall stand again upon the Mount of Olives. Oh, this same Jesus that you see go shall come in like manner as you've seen him go. And he's seated in heaven now in that same body. John, yonder they brought the books to John, and John was unable to open the book and to look upon it, and he started to weep, and the angel said, Don't cry, John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to open the book and to look upon it. And I looked and I saw one as a lamb slow, and he opened the book to look upon it. And then they began to sing in heaven and on earth and under the earth, glory and honor and majesty and power and dominion be given unto him now and evermore. And so he's there in heaven with the marks of the slaughter still upon him. Paul Rader said he was preaching in an insane asylum one day, and a lady said to him when he had finished, one of the inmates said, Mr. Preacher, what's in heaven that's made by the hands of men? He said, of course, she was crazy. I said, there isn't anything. I said, oh, yes, there is. She said, oh, yes, there is. I said, what? She said, the scars on the body of Jesus. And did you know when he comes back to this earth, when he comes to tread the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, he'll come in that same body. He'll come back in that same body. Why? Because when they look upon him whom they have pierced, they'll mourn as one mourners for an only son. Heaven's a place. And I believe that in the morning of the resurrection, we will have literal bodies. You say we're going to be raised with a literal body. You're not going to be a spook flitting around here and there. You're going to be a real. You're going to be a real person. Real person. You say, are we going to have real bodies? Yes. What kind of a body are we going to have? Well, first of all, you're going to have an incorruptible body. Amen. The bodies that we have now is corruptible. Everything that proceeds from it is corruptible. Gangrene, cancer, running sores. Every, this body gets weak and tired and has to have rest and recreation and sit up on a well curb. Jesus himself to refresh himself in the morning of the resurrection. And I guess this body now will go back to the dust. I can go down yonder the mountains of West Virginia where a little more than 50 years ago my father was placed in a grave and they put the dirt upon him and I could go down there and climb up that little mountainside and open that grave and go down and I might find a hand full of dust. And you said, it's gone. No, it's not all gone. I saw a germ of wheat and it mortifies and decays, but there's still, I saw a seed of wheat, but there's still a germ. And pretty soon that germ moistened by the rain and warmed by the sun will shoot up a tiny green finger and it will wiggle itself out yonder toward the sun. And the first thing you know, it's brought forth into a new ear of corn and the seed shall bear green. And that in Corrupt, that corruptible shall put on incorruption. When in the resurrection he'll have an incorruptible body. 
And what kind will I have? I'll have an immortal body. Because I'm going to be living when Jesus comes. He said the, the corruptible shall put on corruption, the mortal shall put on immortality. The dead in Christ shall rise first. You say, why do they rise first? Because they got six feet further to come than we have. Amen. <laughs> and I'll be walking around here, and the first thing you know, I start up. I go up, and then the graves is burst open, and Dad's already gone up, and I'm going up to a body, and I'll be an immortal body. And then the incorruptible and the immortal will go up to meet the Lord in the air. And that, my friends, you say we'll have an incorruptible as we go sweeping up. My dad will look back at that open grave and said, Grave, where's your victory? You thought you were going to hold me, didn't you? But I got out of you. Then I looked back at old grinning death and said, Death, where's your sting? You thought you were going to sting me, but I got out without being stung, thank God. Something, one thing, sure, we've all got to die. That's the most uncertain thing in the world. For we shall not all die. So heaven's going to be a place. And heaven's going to be a big place. Oh, I know we used to talk, we talk about uh, the 144,000, but immediately following that verse says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no man could number. You say, but straight is the gate and narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. Did you ever think of the crowd that didn't have to find the way? I believe that everyone that dies before they know right from wrong goes to heaven. Amen? Amen. Why? You're going to have an incorruptible body, you're going to have a deathless body, you're going to have a body that'll never die, and you're going to have a youthful body. Somebody said, Dr. Lincoln, will I have a youthful body? Yes. Yes, a youthful body. I was preaching in Beaumont, Texas, and a little boy said, well, my daddy, my little brother that died when he was a baby, will he grow up in heaven or will he be a baby? I said, I, he'll grow up. Because he'll have a, he'll, he'll grow up. A mother said, well, I wouldn't want to go to heaven if I didn't think my little baby was there. I said, well, you want it to have been a little baby for 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 years? There won't be any imperfections in heaven. And in the morning of the resurrection, you'll have an incorruptible body, you'll have a deathless body, and you'll have a youthful body. Why? Because you're going to have a body like the Lord Jesus Christ. And he died at the age of 33. Wouldn't you like to be 33 for all eternity? Some of you good women won't even have to snitch about it. Amen? <laughs> Woman said to her husband, Would you love me when my hair's turned to silver? He said, I guess I've loved you through three shades now already. <laughs> but you're going to have a youthful body. Heaven's going to be a big place. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way. Few there be that find it. But there's some that didn't have to find the way. God pity a man who believes in a limited atonement. I believe that everyone that dies before the no right from wrong, not only of the Christian mother, but the heathen mother, I believe they go to heaven. Amen. Amen. God pity the man who believes that God should created millions of little babies just to put them into hell. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. So we're told that four-fifths of the population of the world die before they know right from wrong. But four-fifths of the population of the world will be in heaven. Many of the other fifth will go the way to hell, but a few of that fifth will go the way to heaven. 
Heaven's going to be a place. It's going to be a big place. He said, I saw an angel go forth with a reed to measure the city, 12,000 furlongs, and the height and the breadth and the length and the width of it are equal. How big is it? 12,000 furlongs makes 1,500 statue miles. The holy city will be a cube, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles high. And the walls of the city will be 144 cubits or 216 feet thick. I'm reading this out of my book. Such a city would dwarf all the great cities of the world has ever known. Ancient Alexander was only 30 furlongs in length. Jerusalem was 33 furlongs. Babylon was 120 furlongs. New York City measures 400 furlongs. And London, England, 300, 500 and 325 the base of such a city would reach from Maine to Florida and from Atlantic Ocean to Pikes Peak in Colorado. It would cover all of Great Britain, Ireland, France, Italy, Spain, Germany, Austria, Poland, European Turkey, and half of European Russia taken together. Paul then spoke of a third heaven and said we have other hints from the scripture that there will not be just one level of the abode in heaven. We have we in our glorified bodies will not be limited to the ground as we are here. The city would be subdivided into 1,500 sections a mile high and 1,500 miles wide and 1,500 miles long. And we can readily see there will be plenty of elbow room in the city of God. And the city will have 12 gates made of solid pearl. A gate in proportion to the size of such a wall should be about 100 miles wide. So we'll have an abundant entrance to that city. And there will be 50 miles of elbow room as we go through the gates of pearl where the gate swings wide. On the other side where the flowers bloom evermore. On the right hand and on the left hand, 50 miles of elbow room. You figure out the rest of it. Let me show you something. Heaven's not only a place, but it's going to be a big place and composed of a cosmopolitan population. I saw them come from the north, the south, and the east, and the west, and sit down in the kingdom of God with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There won't be any room for the selfish people. Amen? I don't think you'll have any Baptists in heaven. I don't think there'll be any. And I don't think there'll be any Methodists. And I have my doubts about the Presbyterians. You know who will be in heaven? Some old-fashioned sinners saved by grace. Amen. I imagine you'll lose most of your denominational tags after you get there. Or before you do. Amen. Heaven's going to be a place, going to be a big place, composed of a cosmopolitan population. And he said it's a city of gates. What has that to do with it? That signifies there's some special way to get in. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the way. By me. If any man enters in, not by the Baptist, not by the Methodist, not by the Presbyterian, not by the Baptist preacher, not by the priest, not by the Pope, by me. You should push everything out of the way and let people see Jesus. And he said there's 12 gates, that's one for every month in the year. You can, get, you can go to heaven any month in the year. I used to hold meetings down south when I was a young preacher and they had the revivals just after the laid by cotton, amen. And you know, I didn't think you could go to heaven except on Saturday before the fourth Sunday in August. That's the only time I thought you could ever go to heaven. Let me show you something. Let me show you something. 
Heaven, my friend, is a city of gates. And he said they're on the north, south, east, and west. You can come up from any point of the compass. And he said there's three gates. Why three gates? Why not just one? Because it exhausted the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost to save you. Amen. And he said the gates were of pearl, and the streets were of gold. Why weren't the streets gold or pearl and the gates gold? The history of a pearl is the history of suffering. The oyster gets a grain of sand in his shell and throws around it a certain mucus. And through the, and through the process of suffering, he forms the pearl. There was a time when the gates were closed. And ye were not redeemed with silver nor gold, but with the precious blood and suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said another thing. He said that the gates shall not be shut at all by day. And in heaven, he said, they have no night. And of course, in hell, they have no morning. So in heaven, they have no night. I've always been afraid of the night time. I confess to you, I'm a, I'm a compulsive coward after dark. It always seemed to me more people died in the night than died in the daytime. When they send out word about a person in the hospital, they never said they had a restful day. They said they had a restful night. But he said, we have, we shall, there shall be no more night. You remember Enoch in the Old Testament who walked with God. Didn't walk in front of God nor behind God, but he walked with God. And one day he walks along and he walks afar. God said, Enoch, come up and spend the day with me. And Enoch said they might not understand. And he said, yeah, they'll understand. And Enoch went up to spend the day and has never gotten back on the earth anymore because they don't have any night there. And he's still spending the day. Let me show you something. In heaven there shall be no more night. And he said, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Tears, hot, scalding, blistering tears. Tears of disappointment, tears of sorrow. I guess if all the tears could be gathered up that's flowed down over the upturned faces of broken-hearted humanity since Adam turned his face away from God, they'd well nigh float the United States Navy. God shall wipe away all tears. You know something? I can afford to shed a few of them to have him come close enough to me to wipe them away. Tears. Salty, briny tears. God shall wipe away all tears. Now, suppose someone was dying today and you'd go to see them. And they'd say to you, I'm, I know I'm dying. I know I'm going to heaven, but I'd like to know what will be some of the joys of heaven. What will be some of the joys of heaven? What would you tell them? What would you tell them? Dr. Martin said that he, that he was born during, in 1862, just after, the civil, just after the war between the states, he said, when we were left in poverty. We go to, he said, my father went to town and bought some things one day he called lemonade, lemons, and brought it back and made what he called lemonade. Gave every child, not a glass full, but just a taste. He said, here's what we'll have when we'll get back on our feet. Then he went one day and got some things he called oranges and other things he called coconuts. And he sliced the oranges and scraped the coconut on it and called it ambrosia. Gave every kid not a bowl full, but just a taste. He said, this is what we'll have when we get back on our feet. We went to church, and I sat there as a little kid and swung my feet. That preacher stood up there and said, up in heaven, we'll never want for anything. And those people shouted. And he said, I sat there and thought heaven was a place where they had barrels and barrels of lemonade. And every kid had a dipper, and nobody told him to quit. I thought heaven was a place where they had hogs of ambrosia. Every kid had a bowl and a spoon, and nobody told him to stop. Hog heaven. Amen. How much better is your idea of heaven than that? 
Let me tell you something. I believe this. He said, when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part shall be done away. I believe one of the joys of heaven will be perfect knowledge. Amen? Amen. Call me a fool if you want to. I'd rather, leave, I'd rather leave my child, if I had one, I'd rather leave my child with an education and leave him in poverty than to leave him a million dollars and leave him in ignorance. Why? Because has your soul never thrilled? Have you never reached out? To, have you never been thrilled as you discovered some new truth? Have you never wanted to know? I've had an insatiable desire to learn since I was a barefooted boy flying a mule around a rocky hillside. And many a day as I did it, I looked up in the face of God and said, Someday I'll amount to something. Someday I'll amount to something. I've wanted to know. I've wanted to know. I've read until my eyes have been have almost gone. But up in heaven, my friend, I'll understand. I'll understand this Bible a bit better. I've worn out numbers of it and have them stacked on my in my study at home. Dr. Billington gave me my Bibles for years. I never bought a Bible, and I don't now. Charles gave him a Bible. And the last one, I noticed the last one that he gave me. March the 19th, 1972, he gave me the last one. And he says, to be our lake and my friend, God bless you, Dallas Billington. God rest his soul. One of the truest friends I ever had, the truest man that ever walked in shoe leather. But I've read him as I've flown across the ocean. I've read it as I've flashed across the continent on a train. I've read it flat on my face on the floor and dampened its pages with my tears. And yet there are skies, there are heights I've never scaled and depths I've never fathomed and mysteries I've never solved. But when I awake in his likeness then I'll understand. Preacher said to me the other day, when I get to heaven, I'm going to look Paul up. I want to ask him why he put certain things in that Bible I don't understand. I said, son, when you get to heaven, you won't have to ask him. You'll know. Amen. 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 You'll know. I'll understand. I'll understand my disappointments. I'll understand why my daddy died when he was 10 years younger than I am with the same disease that I have. I'll understand why my brother went when he was 49 and left a little back. I'll understand why my other brother went at 55. And I'll understand why my own boy went away when he was 31. Now I was 1,100 miles from home. I've never asked God why. I don't intend to. Why? Because up in heaven someday he'll make it plain to me. And God, until then, I'll watch and wait. I'll understand. I'll understand. You know something? I've had a sermon in my soul for years. I've wanted to preach. I love to preach. People wouldn't pay me to preach. I'd hire them to let me. Amen. 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 <laughs> I'd hire them to let me preach. I think when I get to heaven, I'm going to take a few of the angels over in the corner and preach to them a little while. Somebody said, what are you going to do when you get to heaven, Brother Lincoln? Well, I'll look up all the folks around, and then I'll go down and sit on the river bank and dabble my feet in the water for a few days and tell the Lord, if it doesn't matter, let me go back down. Amen? And preach some more. <laughs> but I've had a sermon in my soul. 
I've preached, I've preached to 10, 12, 15, 25,000 people. Then go home and fall upon my face and say, God, I failed in a thousand places. I failed in a thousand places. I've had a shame in my soul for years. I've wanted to preach. When I get to heaven, I'll be able to preach. I've always wanted to sing. My old voice doesn't sing. Man, I wish I could sing like that. But boy, when I get to heaven, I'll be able to sing. You come out on your front porch some morning, I'll be living about 500 miles on the other side of the city from you. I'll come out on my front porch some morning and sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And you'll say, oh woman, Dr. Lakin's got here, I hear him singing. <laughs> no, I'm not going to have no cabin in glory back over the... Uh, Back of the mountain, I'm not going to have no cabin. I'm not going to have no mansion over the hilltop. I'm going to live right down on the corner of Hallelujah and Glory Boulevard in a big house overlooking the river of life where I can get up in the morning and catch fish that long out of it without any scales on them. That's what I'm looking for. You say, Brother Lincoln, it's a marvelous, wonderful thing to be saved and have the glorious hope of heaven. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. John Jasper, that eccentric old slave preacher of Richmond, Virginia. I never go to Richmond that I don't go down and see Jasper's little church. So many people ask me this selfish question, when I get to heaven will I know my loved ones? I'd hate to think I'd have less sense when I'm perfect than I do when I'm imperfect. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm sure that I Blessed be God. Amen. Amen. I sure I know. You said you think we'll know each other in heaven? Yeah, I think they know what I'm doing this morning. Amen. I think maybe Bill went up to Jesus this morning and said, Dad's preaching down there in the temple. Down there this morning, I want you to help him. Maybe he's leaning over now. The betterments of heaven said, Dad, don't give up. You're about to the end now. Yeah, I may be coming pretty soon, Bill. I don't know. Listen, this thing's real to me. Amen. Yeah, I want to see my son. I want to see my mother. But John Jasper said when he went to preach to that great crowd of both black and white one Sunday afternoon, he broke down with emotion, went back into his little into his little study. And then they started to leave and he got control of his emotions and came back out on the platform and stood there and trembled like an, like an oak leaf in the autumn wind. And then he said, when old Jasper gets to heaven and the mighty angel said, Jasper, do you want your crown? I'm going to say, yes, mighty angel, I want my crown. But I want to see my master Jesus first. And the mighty angel said, Jasper, do you want your robe? I'll say, yes, mighty angel, I want my robe. But I want to see my master Jesus first. Like the little boy was born blind, never knew his mother by the sound of her voice, and one day they took all the bandages off. They told him all about the monkeys in the Paris, and finally they said to him, Now what's the first thing you want to see? His little new eyes filled up with tears, and he said, I want first to see the man that made me see. And first when I get to heaven, I want to see the one who made me see. My brother called me one day and said, you better come home, mother's pretty sick. I drove home 300 miles from the tabernacle and going up the little path into the home in the hills. 
He said, I don't know whether she'll know you or not. And I went in, knelt down beside the bed, and I took her hand, and I said, Maud, do you know me? And she reached out over my face and said, yes, this is my baby boy. She said, this is my preacher boy. Then she said, son, when I carried you into my heart before you were born, I prayed that God would let you be my preacher man. And the day you were born, like Hannah, I dedicated you to the Lord. And she said, I watch the clock every night, and when eight o'clock comes, I pray for you. And I listen to you every morning on the radio. Great crowds come to hear you preach. Temptations will come, and that'll be to compromise with worldly people. Promise your mother before she goes to heaven, you'll go on and preach the old gospel because it's just like I taught it to you when you were a little boy. And then I prayed, and after I prayed, she started clapping her hands and singing, I'm going home, I'm going home to die no more, to die no more. And then she said, she started to sing, and she started singing, when I can read my titles clear to mansions in the sky, I'll bid farewell to every fear and wipe my weeping eyes. And long one morning, my brother-in-law called me and said, Mother, Dad, this morning at 2 o'clock. And I sat on the side of the bed and wept, and my wife put her arm around me. And I looked up and said, God, who will pray for me now? One of these days, it's been a long, hard battle. The trail started back under in the head of, in the, on that little creek that morning. It's wound down around across this nation, up and down this continent, and across one ocean ten times and the other twice. And pretty soon now it'll come to an end down on the banks of the river of life. And I guess when I come to look in his face and see the glory, it'll be worth it all. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.